This is Framed, a podcast where a group of friends get together once a week to talk about movies, what we liked about them, what we didn't like, and how they're made. I'm Elliot. I'm Robert. I'm Phil. And I'm Brennan. This week on Framed, we look at Perfect Blue. Short and sweet. Short and sweet to the point. Woo. All right. Everyone is still their usual selves, so... Yeah. <laughs> I know who I am. Ah, good. After this movie, I wasn't sure who I was, but... <laughs> anyway. So, this month we'll be talking about several animated films from the wonderful island of Japan. Uh, starting out, uh, we have Robert's pick of Perfect Blue, directed by Satoshi Kon. Robert, why did you decide to pick this movie for our animated month? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, you see, Phil, I have never seen anything other than, like, Pokemon or Digimon as far as anime is concerned. Oof. So when this was thrown to me, I did what any sane person would do and type in 10 most important animes into <laughs> Google, and this one was on the list. Beautiful. Interesting. I, I would like to see that list, actually, if this... Like... Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, never mind. Sorry. I'll stop. No. In high school, when I first started watching, an, uh, I had a couple of internet friends that send me some animes to watch, and after I finished those, I was so like, ah, I need to watch more. I literally did look up like lists of top ten most like reviewed and critiqued animes, and that's how I got into watching these. Well, there you go. There but you, you hadn't seen minds. this before, right, Phil? I had not. I had heard a lot about Perfect Blue. Uh, Satoshi Kon, the director, had done another. Uh, he had done another film that I really enjoyed called Paprika, which hopefully someday we also get to watch. Um, and also, that soon. and also the uh, animation studio uh, Madhouse has done a lot of stuff I absolutely love. Um, and so the two together, I was always very interested. And I'd heard it was pretty. Uh, it was a pretty uh, ponderous film, so I'm glad we finally got a chance. I got at least I got finally a chance to see it. So, uh, all right, so. Uh, I guess we'll just go ahead and kind of give some background on the film. Satoshi Kon kind of got his start in uh, Japanese uh, directing from this movie. This was kind of his kickoff. He had done some work as an animator, but this was his his second uh, adventure into directing. And yeah, he made a couple of films uh, after it got released in 1997, up until 2010, where he died from pancreatic cancer. Hmm. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's rather tragic. But his body of work is pretty uh, interesting, and it, I would recommend you can pull up his name on a Wikipedia page and look at all the stuff he's made. It, he's he's a really good director. I enjoy his uh, yeah, I, his style. I did a little bit of research uh, into him after watching Perfect Blue, and everyone was like, "Yeah, Perfect Blue is great because it you really like get a sense of." like his themes and what he likes to do and he's more subtle with it in his others not in a bad way but just like perfect blue is very like taking risks and doing things that only an anime could do which right. i love when uh mediums are used uh to tell story to the best of their ability mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And this, this wouldn't work as a live action this wouldn't work as you know anything else basically but it worked great as an anime yeah. well i actually looked up um apparently they were planning on making this a live action but well, after Netflix they had the charge <laughs> uh hopefully not 
but the Kobe earthquake of 1995 damaged their production studio so much that they had to like scale back to an animated film, which kind of surprises me. I'd imagine an animated film would cost more than live action, but yeah. Oh, so it, like this was originally going to be live action, not that they were going to oh, yeah. remake it into live action after this came out. Mm. And I, I can kind of see how it could work as a live action film. His other movies, the only other one I'm really familiar with is Paprika. His other things, I'm really not sure how you do that live action. Yeah, like, kind this, of. This is Robert... probably the most grounded out of any of his stuff, which is saying something. <laughs> Even still, like I was, I wanted to kind of echo what Robert said that there are certain things in this that, like, I don't think you could do as well in other mediums. Like the fact that it's it's done with animation uh, lends itself to some really cool shots that uh, you know we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that kind of introduction out of the way, uh, Robert, I'll have you start off. What did you think of Perfect Blue? Oh, actually, are we going to go straight into spoilers? Uh, well, let's let's get a general, like, what did you think thing without going into spoilers too much. Okay. I think that would be good. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what I thought of Perfect Blue. <laughs> uh, good, good. I mean, simply put, I liked it because I, I, I'm still thinking about it and I watched it, you know, five days ago or something at this point. Um, I thought it did a very good take on the whole psychological thriller uh, genre. Uh, it gave you the beats that you were looking for in that, mm. but it also changed things up and kept you guessing. Uh, there were definitely some hard-to-watch parts, um, yeah. but overall, it, it was, yeah, I felt like I was in good hands throughout. Like, it, I definitely felt like everyone who was working on it knew what they were doing, and it was a very cohesive, solid voice coming at me. Mm. Okay, what'd you think, Brennan? I agree, I love, I really enjoyed this movie, um... It was very, it had very good artistic touch to it. It was very, it kept you on your toes, kept you thinking, kept you wondering who this killer was. Um, um, overall, I thought it was just really good. I loved it. Okay. Elliot? So, yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I basically liked this movie a whole lot. Um, there, I mean, <clears throat> so yeah, on an artistic level, it's, it's, it's got a very strong, um, very strong focus on what it wants to do. Um, really gripping story, uh, really interesting characters. Um, a lot of really intense content that, um, several times sort of crossed the line for me in terms of like being watchable. Uh, it, it like just like very violent, very graphic stuff in certain places. So <clears throat> it's kind of hard to recommend it to people on that <laughs> level. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of being like an interesting story with like, you know, twists and turns that kept you guessing all the way up until the end, even after the credits roll, like I think Phil and I, uh, stayed there for a good five ten minutes afterwards, just trying to like parse, like, or at least I I did. Phyllis was that was your second time, 
watching it. Um, but I, I was just like trying to untangle what I just watched and it was really difficult for me to like even figure out what on, what on earth did I just watch? Um, so yeah, from a psychological thriller standpoint, it, 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 uh, passes with flying colors. Um, yeah, not, not something I would probably go back to watching anytime soon, but I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. Um, like both just as a, a film in general and also as, um, an example of really good animation. Yeah. I, I kind of echo that sentiment of it tends to be a bit too gratuitous in a couple of scenes that are just a little over the top. Mm-hmm. Overall, though, like, it's 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 such a solid movie, I can't help but like it. I want to say love it, but it's it's there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, Animation-wise, like, it's right in that golden age of digital is almost becoming a thing in animation in Japan, but hand hand drawing is still, like, the predominant, like, use of the medium, so everything in this movie I thought was absolutely just very stunningly drawn and very mm-hmm. effectively used that way. Um, yeah, I'd say I enjoyed it, but it's one of those things I wouldn't watch again anytime soon. Yeah, it's kind of, it's it's a hard watch. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would maybe be willing to go back and watch it a second time, if only to, like, test my theories uh, that I've come up with since watching it to see if they hold water or not. Oh, interesting. Um, but we can get into that uh, okay. eventually. Phil, do you want to summarize the plot at a high level? For oh, gosh. So if do there's you just want to enter spoilers mode? Yeah, if there's anyone who's listening to this who hasn't seen Perfect Blue and they don't really care about spoilers, here's the plot synopsis. Well, yeah, and a warning. Um, we are going to speak about spoilers. So if you haven't seen mm-hmm. it, I would highly recommend turning this off because this is the sort of movie that's best enjoyed if you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that was your spoiler warning. Spoiler, mm. spoiler, spoiler. Uh, <laughs> alrighty. So, Perfect Blue. Uh, I find that the main synopsis can be kind of summarized. Uh, Cohen was interviewed about some of his more prevalent themes throughout all of his works, and mm-hmm. he finds one of the most compelling things is the uh, male gaze hmm. uh, upon an individual and how like perturbed that can be if unwarranted. Hmm. which I think uh, kind of pervades this entire uh, movie. Basically, it's a story of a pop idol who wants to turn actress, and uh, she has self-doubts that are further exaggerated by some very obsessive and rather... uh, Oh, how would you say... Uh, unhinged yeah insane (laughs) unhinged people surrounding her and her career uh she's getting pulled in different directions and she goes through stages of mental breakdown as uh everyone that's associated with her business wise dies and you're trying to figure out who the killer is and what on earth is going on and is everything a dream so yeah that's (laughs) did any of it really even happen Uh, i i i go for the much more literal interpretation of all this but yeah, so that's kind of the synopsis of it. Elliot, you said you had theories, and you asked, uh, mentioned the "Did it really happen?" Do you want to go off on that? Right. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, after it was over, like I was just trying to parse what it was that I even just saw, and I was kind of surprised that Phil and I had two completely opposite interpretations of the movie. Um, and so, I guess I'll I'll put mine forth. Um, so I am of the opinion that 
none of what we saw happened, um, literally speaking. So my my theory is that um, the protagonist um, whose mental state that we follow throughout the movie is not uh, Mimarin, um, but is rather this uh, woman, uh, Ruma Chan, was that her name? Ruma. The sort of Ruma Chan. Yeah, the, the more heavier set, not as, not as beautiful looking woman. My theory is that um, she became fixated on Mimarin and wanting to be her and have her looks and her career and all that, but she didn't because, you know, she doesn't look as good. Um, and things that did happen to her in actuality was that she did get raped at a strip club and, um, everything that we see is like her mentally playing that out and trying to deal with that because we have the scene where the, um, the detective in the TV show that may or may not have been imaginary talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the show is called double bind, which I think is a big, clue early on that there's going to be some kind of um disassociative identity disorder um which the detective sort of explicitly says sort of towards the end of the movie um so we we're following along with ruma chan's like sort of mental play that's going on in her head to deal with this trauma that she's gone through and her her desires to be like the real pop idol mimarin who comes to visit her at the hospital at the end of the movie that was but, my interpretation of it. But why would she come and visit her in the hospital? Presumably that, like, the real pop idol had heard about her. Um, because, I, I mean, maybe she did uh, go out and kill a bunch of people before uh, she got put away. Um, you, you know, somehow the, the real pop idol had, had heard of her and her her sort of situation and came to visit her. Or, I don't know. That... <clears throat> I that that yeah I don't I don't know that's that's how I well, interpreted it. One one of the strengths of this movie I thought was just how like open ended most of it was. Like there is a very like literal interpretation you can do of it, or you yeah. can, like the it's a refreshing take from other like similar pieces in Western media where it's very evident and clear like what's going on. This one I thought found the confuse confusion in most of the scenes to be really refreshing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like, um, the fact that once you reach about the halfway point in this movie, you, you along with, you know, we'll, we'll just say the, the protagonist, me, Marine, y- you know, you've also lost track of, like, what's real and what's imaginary, you know, and it's like you're, you're sort of watching this, this funhouse mirror of a movie play out where it's reflections and things being played back and you're not really sure what's real anymore. Um, and the movie never helps you. It's like, it never says, no, this is what's actually happening, except right. for maybe the final scene. Um, but yeah, it, when you're in that last half, you, you're you're along for the ride with, uh, with Mima. Uh, Phil, let, what was your take on it? You, you keep saying yours was the literal interpretation. Oh, I mean, I hear. so the literal interpretation is the fact that she like she is actually a pop idol and she's being uh attacked by these uh stalkers and Rumi's mm-hmm. suffering from identity disorder thinking that she's Mima so that's why she has the website and mm-hmm. then you know she gets put away in an institution so it's a much more like clear take on the movie so you think that she was Ruma was actually her manager um yeah. but she suffered a mental breakdown 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like going back. Like I had the benefit of hindsight when mm-hmm. rewatching it with you. That's like, true. Like you had movie, you had a chance to see it twice. Yeah, it it makes a lot more sense the character's motives. Like throughout every scene that they're talking about her career, she's uh, like viciously advocating that she should be a pop idol, which mm-hmm. feeds into that whole like she perceives that Mima can only be a pop idol. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's there's a little bit of throwaway dialogue in one of the scenes where the other manager says to Ruma, like, "Didn't you want to be a pop idol, or you had a chance at it, or or something like that?" That I think mm-hmm. kind of supports that. So if that's if that's the case, how much of it was real and how much was in Ruma's head as she's going through this disassociative identity, you know, breakdown? Mm-hmm. That, that, I think that was a question. I was. It, it's also like an interesting point while we're talking about the manager that because she's the manager and she's in uh, Mima's apartment so often, she has access to do all like. There's a shot of like uh, some sort of tablet dissolving in water, like in the apartment and this is that really trippy sequence where she keeps like reliving the same day on the set next to the water mm-hmm. and she thinks the, the groundhog day up. sequence yeah and so like she she would have access to, like you know drug her and get her out of it and like further distort her reality hmm. yeah my interpretation was that basically everything we saw was real the question was who was it happening to mm-hmm. um and I think that I think that the the guy, what was his name? Uchida. The, 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 the guy, the, the, the guy with the messed up face. Yeah. Um, he he uh, went by Me Mania. Was his his self? His the name he gave himself. Yeah. Me yeah. Mania. Me Mania. Um. I think he killed out. He carried out the murders. Hmm. Um. Well. See, yeah, I was gonna I bring yeah. up that. See, the, that what, one, what makes me think? Oh, go ahead, Phil. Sorry. I was gonna bring up the, what. What do you guys make of that one murder of the photographer, where it's clearly shown to be Mima? Like, hmm. do you think Mima actually did it in her like hazy, like crazy state? No. Or do you? Th- I think it was. Think it was Rumi. I think it was Rumi dressed up. Rumi dressed up as Mima. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yet another interpretation is that, I mean, this doesn't really hold water with the ending, but what I was sort of being led to believe as the movie went along was that maybe the the stalker guy, Mimania, that all of it was happening in his head mm-hmm. because we see his apartment and how he's obsessing over Mima. Um, and so... And also the fact that we sort of get this like weird mirroring where she's checking on the website that's like um, clearly like only she's the only one who could have been writing those things on the website um, because you know there's no way anyone else could have known all of that um, unless if they were following her unless I mean yeah I don't know I mean it, to me it seemed like a level of detail that suggested that it wasn't like there were certain left things left foot that off the bus have, what. Left, left foot, foot off, off the, the bus. bus. Yeah, left foot off day. the bus. Right. Well, yeah, because she's read that and it hadn't happened yet. Um, I don't know. It's... Uh, uh. Mm. The other thing... So, like, while we're talking about... Um, well, I, I mean... 
Yes. Sort of, sort of the question of like what order did things happen in? I, I personally liked this uh, movie's use of flashback and flash forward transitions. Um, not only because it was clever the way the cutting was done, where there would be an action happening, like a door opening or someone putting a hand on a shoulder, and then we would like transition through that action to the next scene at a different point in time. My which, favorite cut in this because i agree the transitions were great was the grabbing of mima cutting to the trunk being closed out yes. of the garage yeah it's so good right it, it's such uh it is that is a good cut not only is it is it clever and aesthetically pleasing but i really like it because it it's very subtly starts to disorient the viewer early on even before the really trippy stuff starts happening so as it's going along and you're sort of following a mostly linear story, it's like he's doing these little cutting tricks to make you be like, whoa, wait, where are we now? You know? It's so almost I, exactly halfway before anything really trippy starts happening. Yeah. It's like an 80-minute film, and it's at, like, 39 minutes in that she starts talking to herself in the reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, it... The pacing, I thought, was very good on that. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly thought it was a much like longer film with more like time to develop. When I checked the runtime, I was kind of surprised how like short it really was. No, yeah. it's it's very tightly done. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, yeah, just th- those initial shots when it's first establishing, you know, her last concert and announcing she's gonna be an actress. The the swapping back and forth on that, and then also like when she's first in the studio, her like noticing people around her like talking. She's like projecting that she's like being talked about and just so many people like Mm -hmm. all those shots just do such a good job at like getting you like off uh on your edge i guess yeah for sure brennan did you have any theories mine kind of changed as the movie went on um for the most part i took it more literal um but there is parts in it where i was thinking one thing and then it went a completely different direction. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a good section where I was thinking that, like right whenever they introduced Rumi as the, um, the stalker, not really stalker, but the murderer or whatever, I Mm -hmm. also, I I agree with um, Elliot about thinking that it was all kind of in her head from the beginning up mm-hmm. until it got to um the very end where Mima comes and sees Rumi and I'm like well maybe not I think mm-hmm. if I were to go back in and watch it a second time I would like Phil ended up getting the chance I think I would have completely different overlook of the whole movie yeah so I, I like I would need to go back and double check this, but um, did it seem to you guys like Mima had a different sort of voice at the end in the final scene at the insane asylum? Like her voice sounded deeper. It did, yes. So see that that kind of like fed into as I was thinking it over, that kind of fed into my theory of like, well, maybe the Mima we were following through the entire film wasn't really the real. I thought they were just trying to show that this was like a more aged and hardened. This was many years yeah. Yeah. later, later in time. Yeah, no, that that's that makes sense. Also, 
Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of the name Perfect Blue? <clears throat> like, I, so, uh, what? Oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, all of, I, I didn't come up with anything particularly clever. I like the two explanations you came up with, Phil, so I'm going to let you say those. Okay. Well, when I first watched it, I watched it with a friend, and we spent a good 30 minutes trying to figure out what on earth Perfect Blue meant. Like, why would you choose it for a title? Yeah. The only two things we could come up with, one, uh, there are several shots of just the sky in this movie, and you can kind of, the general mood of the character can be portrayed with the sky. Hmm. Like, the more cloudy and rainy it is, the more she's, like, getting, like, disoriented and confused. At the very end, the last scene uh, with her getting in the car is the only shot in the movie that has a clear sky. Mm. Mm. And that would explain, like, why the final confrontation is in the rain because that's like when she's at her most disoriented mm-hmm. and she sees Rumi as herself and it's just all sorts mm-hmm. of weird and I don't like it uh, the second <laughs> theory is uh, apparently blue work is uh, code for like porn- pornographic work which uh, is a big driving force in this movie yeah so there you go so yeah, uh, moving away from the plot for a little bit, just kind of talking about the art. Since we on the chat, we have a couple of pictures of two of the characters, uh, <laughs> the manager and the uh, stalker. I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about the character design for some of these characters because sure. a lot Me of too. animated films, uh, everyone's very handsome, very especially pretty, especially in anime. Yeah, yeah, like Japan, Japan likes to make everything beautiful. Yeah. But mm. holy cow, when they decide to do an ugly character, they go like way out there yeah yes. and so yeah so the two most startling i guess uh persons that would fit into this category the stalker and the uh, Rumi. uh the manager Ren, do you want to talk about the stalker what did, what did you think of uh good old fish eyes <laughs> well i i felt bad for him at first and then, as it went on, I was kind of confused. I'm not going to lie. His part in it kind of confused me towards, the, like, up to his death, he kind of made sense. But then, mm. after, <laughs> after, once we found out actually who actually was doing all this, like the mastermind, I had multiple questions which I don't know like I said I'm probably gonna end up having to go rewatch this movie eventually to see I don't know be able to watch it with a different set of eyes now that I know you sort of are led to believe he is that the confrontation between him and and Mima and the the empty theater is going to be the climax of the movie Um, yeah but then, you know, he gets killed in a, in a very strange scene. Does um, he get killed, or is well, that part of Double Blind? Yeah, <laughs> was, was, it, was it part of the TV show? That, that who, is the question. Who could because say? there's no body there when they go back in. Right, and I think it, it even transitions from that scene to, like, and cut. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. everyone's applauding. And every time mm-hmm. he every time she sees him... He, two seconds disappears. Mm-hmm. So, like we were talking about earlier about the possibility of her being drugged. If she was drugged, she could have been hallucinating him mm. and just someone what she thought in his mind. 
But didn't yeah, that's, he, that's but didn't true. he at the I mean, beginning... She might, she... Go ahead. What, no, no, no. Like, she may have, like, constructed him because, like, he was a real stalker and, um, you know, she would have had his face in mind, you know, while she was hallucinating, perhaps. Yeah, well, because at the beginning, it they show... Doesn't he, like... Because people start throwing stuff at her um, at that concert, fight. and he gets in that fight with them. Right. But I don't know. Past the, I think, past that, she could have been. She had that thought in hit in her head already, and that face. That towards it, he was just could have just been a hallucination. Hmm. But yeah, because after so like. The film definitely enjoys uh, showing very violent deaths for most of the characters that die. <laughs> yes. But uh, specifically for when uh, she hits him in the head with the hammer, there's literally no blood. Yeah. Like nothing. Right. And so in the, but by the time uh, uh, she takes Rumi back there, he's gone. And then we see later that he's been killed like all the other ones along with the other male producer. Mm. So yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I want to know how the first guy... Um got killed in the elevator by the boombox because we don't see that murder. Well, I, I, what I imagined was he left the boombox on the elevator and then he was hiding in the parking garage and while the mm. screenwriter was looking at the boombox, he got him from behind or something like that. I yeah. thought that a bunch of knives flew out of the boombox and stabbed his eyes out. But and dead, then disintegrated? Yeah, yeah, and then disintegrated. It was icicles. See, I guessed that between floor basement and floor five... We Something intercepted happened. the elevator and chopped mm-hmm. him up. Um, so do you? Th- but before we go too far down rabbit holes, just back <laughs> at design itself, the <laughs> yeah. the very wide eye design of Me Mania um, mm-hmm. is very striking. Like it sticks out like a sore yeah. thumb because everyone right. else is like so beautiful. But they do the same thing with, with um, me, me. with Rumi, uh, Rumi, Rumi. Um, Interesting. And I, when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's weird. She's got weird eyes like that guy too. What a stupid choice!" And then kept watching. And then, oh, it's not a stupid choice because she's crazy too, and they wanted to like hint that from the very beginning. Hmm. So I actually really enjoyed the character design of those two in particular. Yeah. Don't trust ugly people. Don't trust <laughs> ugly people. Well, yeah, I didn't like... make a judgment there, Phil. Maybe I find <laughs> wide eyes really beautiful. You don't know. Um, uh, going off that a little bit, uh, I find the theme of eyes also just on the characters really interesting. So like the two, if, if going by the literal interpretation, the two most deranged characters have very uh, prominent and i don't know irregular eyes i've yeah. and also the fact that every one of the people that gets killed in this movie like one of the most like graphic features about it is that their eyes have been stabbed out i think it yeah. also kind of goes back to um what you I've... said about the director like one of his his most uh prominent features in his films is the male gaze um so like having the those who get killed have their eyes stabbed out seems to sort of, you know, feed into that. I don't know. I would need to go back and watch it again. I don't know if this, I'm, I'm just shooting from the hip right now, but like, 
it seems like the the people who get killed like in some way or another were like fixated on like looking at Mima um and that it would it led to their their eyes getting stabbed out but I don't know that that is true for each one of the murders I know that like the you know the screenwriter you know they kind of draw the line between you know oh he wrote this like really intense rape scene then put Mima through it and then he ends up dead later so, so it's like you know he was um you know sort of putting her 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 body out there you know right. for people to see and then you know his eyes get stabbed i don't know and then the I'm, photographer I'm just, takes nude photos right and then his you know he has his faces a similar and um yeah i don't know there there is definitely that theme yeah for sure mhm I, I thought the shots with the uh, oh the soccer like during concerts were also very very good for this uh, s- part of storytelling. Like it's mm. the one of the first shots we see of him in the film. Like he's crouched over and he has his hand in front of his eye. Like that's just such a bizarre pose. But later on mm-hmm. when he's like in the concert, we kind of see and let me pull it back up. Uh, you can see the way he has his uh, hand positioned. Um, watching Mima dance, like it's, uh, he makes it look like she's dancing in the palm of his hand. Which oh yeah, kinda, that's that's true. Let me, uh, yeah, I posted one of the pictures in there, but I think it's just a very interesting like perspective, like how he, I mean, it, g- it goes to the whole thing about how both uh, the stalker and the manager wouldn't want Mima to change, mm-hmm. that she's her, like the, she's dancing for them essentially. Right, it's like they they both wanted to keep her like frozen in time as like this idol who never changes from like the image of that they had formed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that one, that that scene that the listeners yeah, can't that one. see. Um, but yeah, no, I thought art wise, this was one of the more striking uh, animated films I've seen. It is, mm-hmm. it's not. As like some of the other films we watched this month, like five centimeters per second, are just very striking in how gorgeously animated it is. Mm-hmm. This one I thought was just it, it got the job done and uh, it just did a very clean job about it. I don't know how yeah. I kind of butchered that. Oh well. Well, it does a lot of cool stuff, um, like with you know characters morphing or like characters showing up out of nowhere or or just like the the crazy like cutting between flashbacks and in the present day like there's there's certain shots that you couldn't easily do with live action that i think um you know makes a good case for this being in uh an animated film rather than a a live action like i don't think you could have made it as trippy certainly not in in the mid 90s um if you had done it live action yeah Mm. If uh, you want any more of this animation, the other film that I've seen that the director has done, Paprika, has a lot of that sort of like mm. visual trippiness, characters morphing. Yeah, I it's have not... seen the trailer for Paprika, and I, I it does look even wilder in terms of like just weird, impossible stuff happening with animation. And I believe I... isn't uh, Tokyo Godfather's same person too? Yep, it is. And I I don't know about that one. I haven't heard <clears throat> other than it's pretty good. But. That's what I've heard. It's good, but I haven't. I don't really know much about it. It looked interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it seems like that's just one of the things the direct uh, Satoshi Khan really just enjoys 
mm. visually just messing with the audience, changing yeah. the characters in front of their eyes. So, yeah. What was uh, your guys' take on the fish? I wanted to bring fish. up the fish. Oh, man. I... I don't know. I was the manager was sneaking conf- in and out and replacing the fish. <laughs> that that confused me a lot. I wasn't for so, sure the purpose of it. I have a theory, but I don't. I don't want to dominate the conversation. No, go for it. I, I don't want to be the only one throwing out crazy theories. No, um, we we can call you Crazy Elliot. It'll be great. <laughs> This so, friend, Crazy Elliot. Crazy Elliot and With his, his wacky theories. theories. Yeah. Um, so I think that the fish represented her innocence. Um, again, it's like I would need to go back and watch the film to confirm this, but I think the first time she comes back to the apartment and the fish are all dead is right after she's filmed the rape scene. Yes. Yes. Um, right. And so... And then isn't it like at the end of the movie there's like a mix of like fish that are dead and fish that are alive in the tank? At the end of the movie the fish are alive which is her clue that she's not in her apartment. Uh, okay, so that was yeah, I like the way it was animated was a little strange or like I didn't mm-hmm. I was like wait aren't weren't the fish dead? Yeah, but Yeah. Um, well, I think there are shots in her apartment, like midway through the movie, where you see the fish and they're alive, and we don't know like if she replaced them or if like mm. some of them didn't die or I don't know. Right. Um, it was just one. I think it was one of those like ways he got across that ti- the time was just very strange how she was perceiving it mm-hmm. by having fish be alive and dead. Mm-hmm. Definitely the ending. It was because she was not in her own apartment, though. Right. Right. Yeah, that was that was very disorienting because you thought. I mean, the way it was presented was you thought it was, she was in her own apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like it's it's hard because it's it, this this movie is kind of like a double edged sword in that it's it's really fascinating to think about and like turn it around and interpret it in different ways, but at the same time that makes it really hard to discuss because it's like there's not really a uh, a clear you know, this is definitely what happened sort of interpretation. Yeah, which I love movies that are like that, not going to lie. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can watch it a hundred times and get something different out of it every time. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to watch this a hundred times. Though. <laughs> I, I probably won't watch this a hundred times either. But um, What do you guys think of the music? So I... I initially liked the pop songs that they had included but now like i i sort of have like upsetting associations with the <laughs> the pop songs so i don't think i'm going to be listening to those outside of uh, this movie um <clears throat> i did like the the sort of more strange um ligeti-esque um vocalizing as like as the you know the movie starts to get weirder you know at about the middle point um so I, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it for what it was. It wasn't, uh, you know, I don't know, like a must-listen soundtrack or anything. You wouldn't pay sixty dollars for it. <laughs> no, I would not get on Amazon and pay sixty-four dollars for the soundtrack. No. Is it oh. really that expensive? Holy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At time of recording. At time of recording. At um, ten o'clock Central Time. But after uh, our review, I'm sure its value oh. is going to shoot up. So Flying right. off the shelves. Everyone is going to be like, I got to go see this movie. Mm-hmm. 
I, I thought it was interesting that most of the time, like, during a lot of the, uh, oh, just normal, before before her slip into madness, it's a kind of a silent score. They don't really use music that much, but mm. they, when it comes in, it just really is very... And like you said, like, the poppy, like, Happy Idol songs, like, you get that horrifying, like, association with them later. It's great. Well, especially because, like, the first, the, when the screenwriter gets murdered in the parking garage, you can hear it playing in the background from mm-hmm. from the boombox, I guess, so. Yeah. Yeah, I and, don't like, think I'm going to The lyrics be... take on, like, such a darker tone because it's talking about, like, the angels, like, receiving you and something, stuff uh-huh. like that. I yeah. have to go back and look at the lyrics. I'm not, I'm not going to be listening to the, those songs. It's good stuff. Sorry, Cham. Sorry, Cham. Yeah, uh, we've been going for about forty minutes. Do we kind of want to wrap up and give like final thoughts, ratings? Hmm. Well, this is, is definitely not going to the desert island. No. Oh, you don't. Oh. You don't be haunted on your desert island. <laughs> no, I think if you were all alone on a desert island, especially, I don't think this would be a very uplifting <laughs> movie to watch. Um, That's fair. Uh, but that aside, um, I I did. Uh, you know, sort of appreciate this as being really well made and really well constructed. So I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10. Okay. Robert, with your outings of Digimon and Pokemon, how does Perfect Blue stack up? (laughs) I don't understand why I didn't watch it as a child. Um, Right? (laughs) So... It's so. hard to make something that's not just gross that makes it hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a like a very good job of that. There were multiple times that it was hard to watch. Right. Um, Definitely. So I've got to give them full points for that. But at the same time... You know, just personally, it was hard to watch. So (laughs) I can't give them many points because of that. Um, Like, just from a personal liking it, I'd probably put it a 7. At, like, how well it was done, I'd probably give it, like, an 8 or 9. Brennan, what did you think? Would I take this movie to a deserted island? Probably not. That being said, I would... I, looking past, like Robert was saying, looking past those parts, um, overall, I thought it was very well written, very well thought out. I would probably give it a nine. Ooh. Uh, oh gosh. I, (laughs) like, all the, this is probably the most out there and violent animated film I've ever seen. Interesting. Like, I, I so don't think if any other anime that we would sit down to watch was not going to be as bad as this. Oh, this this, this is going to be the most. Well, okay, I don't know about Tokyo Godfathers. I've never watched that one, and it's the same director, so eh, we'll see. So we can we can all dump on Brennan if if Tokyo Godfathers is like way more violent. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, That's okay. I like violent. <laughs> I like violent. Uh, yeah, like this is much more uh, against the kind of stuff I like to watch, but. Mm. That being said, I agree with Robert's assessment of I love it in the how well it's done in like it. I can I can't remember the last movie I watched where I had to hold a pillow up to my mouth and just like try not to scream. Like there were the several first time points I watched, it was where such a ride. I, I was just like going watching this. 
like I appreciate how well it was done to like just disturb and hurt the audience and like how like uh, very well done it was in that regard. But at the same time, it just it was so painful to watch. Right. Um, but yeah, no, like for considering this is uh, Satoshi Kon's like first outing as a director, like I thought this was just really masterfully done. I'd probably give it like an eight or a seven point five, just because like the nature of it is just too dark for me to really like it that much more. But I do very much appreciate for what he was going for it. It was, it was good. I'm not gonna watch it like hardly ever, but it was good. Not one for the desert island. Um, cool. So awesome. Next week, to continue our month of anime, is Brennan's pick, which and is Tokyo Brennan, Godfather. Yes. Yeah, we. I think we already mentioned this is by the same director. Was that intentional, mm-hmm. Brennan, or was that a nope. coincidence? It was just a coincidence. I have heard about Tokyo Godfathers a couple times from people that I know. Um, that's why I went between this one and well, whatever the other one I was thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. This one trumped the other one just because more people had talked about this one than the other one. Yeah. Only downside I could see to this one, apparently Nowhere is legally streaming it, so your choices for watching are kind of limited in that regard. Right. But Same thing well, with Perfect Blue. Unless you buy um, it. We, yeah, we found uh, it on true. iTunes. So, it, it is... Okay. Though I don't know if that's subs or dubs. Oof. You know, in hindsight, I'm kind of um, impressed that nobody has yet flagged Perfect Blue on YouTube, because we just watched it. Yeah. As as is, um, and you know nobody had flagged it for uh, content warnings. So, hmm. Mm. All right. Just, no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> it's a bad movie. All movies are bad. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm gonna real quick turn off my recording. Oh, are, are we closing <laughs> <laughs> on that? <laughs> Ending on that note right there. Beautiful. Well, all right. All right. Night, Thanks for potting, guys. Yeah. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye.